0: For far too long, many Christians and churches have been primarily known by what they are against. Most people in our communities could rattle off a list of things that they think we stand in opposition to, all the while never really experiencing the love Jesus has for them. It's time for things to change. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of those that Jesus gave his life for, it's time that we become known by what we are for. It's time that we begin really loving our neighbors. It's time that we begin living and loving for the sake of those around us who are desperately in need of the life-giving power of the gospel. If we are going to help people move closer to where God wants them to be, it's time that we are no longer known primarily by what we are against. It's time that we become known by what we are for.
1: Well, good morning and welcome again. Thank you so much for joining us. I am continuing to be encouraged uh, through this series and, and um, I'm excited each Sunday to um for myself just to be challenged by um, some of the things that I think God has for our church. And so um, thank you for joining us again this morning. I'm excited today because I get a chance to introduce another guest speaker to us, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, Luke has some long-time long, long uh, time ties to our church that go back a long ways. I've known Luke for uh, probably 25 years or so, and... Mm-hmm. Um, it, Luke has just encouraged me over the years in so many ways, and um, I'm excited for him to share. Luke, for a, a number of years, was doing different things outside of the Verde Valley, had moved away for a while, worked as a pastor, worked at a camp, worked doing some, a handful of different things, but if you don't know Luke's ties to our church, he's going to explain that to you here in just a second, but would you give Luke a round of applause and welcome him this morning?
2: Yeah, I think I have a little bit of job ADD or something like that. Every, I think Freeman, Doug Freeman, makes fun of me the most about that. But yes, my name is Luke Hammond, and I have been a part of this church my entire life. Actually, um, there's a little photo that I'd like to show you, uh, bringing up. Uh, and so if it, maybe you've seen the 2003 movie Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean, There's this line in there that's, oh, that's a spitting image of our bootstrap bill come back to haunt us, and that's exactly what's going on this morning. (laughs) With me on the stage, approximately the same age as my dad was when uh, he came and moved our family when I was like two years old, um, out here to the Verde Valley. That's actually a little bit after, maybe a year. (laughs) But um, I just wanna honor uh, the stage. Um, It's really hard being in church ministry. Um, And it's really, really hard. Um, Weekly, just this weight, the spiritual weight that I felt this week just coming up here. Um, My dad's done that for 28 years? And I just wanna honor the stage and honor what he's done here. Um, I just, every day I'm blown away at the faithfulness of my father and the faithfulness of the leadership of this church and how they constantly are here to serve uh, this community. And as we're in the series four um, I'm just impacted, um, and I'm excited to be here. Well, let's um, dive back into uh, the Word. It's in your handout, but before I get going there, uh, Matt did mention I was um, a pastor for a little bit. I was kind of uh, a youth pastor in Missouri, and I moved there in 2015 right after my son was born, and um, I found myself, I had never really spoke to any audience before, and so I went to the bookshelf, and I found one of those yellow books with black binding, and it was kind of, you know, preaching for dummies, and um, and I studied up, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna nail this, and and I, <laughs> you know, I went to this, this group of about 30 high school students, and I started talking, and there was n- no connection. It was like, and, and I was like, oh no, like this is terrible. And it was painful, it was brutal. I don't think I had a point. Um, I, I had it on my notes, but I didn't get to it. And so if that happens today, I'm sorry. You know, at least you have like 20 minutes or whatever uh, for the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. If I do say anything that offends you or pricks you, you know, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, so let's get started. Matt used um, the, the Matthew passage where we talk about the greatest commandment. And what's the greatest commandment? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He used the Matthew passage, and I, uh, my personality's a little bit off, and so I'm, I'm gonna use the Luke passage this morning. Sorry, Matt. Um, And then Jesus replied. Yep, you got it. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Easy, right? I don't think so. Why would a lawyer be trying to pin Jesus in a corner saying, what must I do to gain eternal life? You see, he knows the answer but sometimes his lifestyle doesn't quite align with the answer. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I got like two nods here. Uh, like We should have like all of us like, yeah, yeah, it's, re- it's really hard. Um, yeah, amen. Um, keep doing that by the way, it helps me kinda, you know, you know, I'm a little nervous up here, a little scared. So, if our answer is in our head, but our lifestyle isn't there. What's this like? It's like bowling. How many of you are just totally aggravated by bowling? I hate bowling, by the way. Number one, because I can barely like get to 100. The goal is to get to 300, and I don't know how people even come close. I know that all you have to do is roll it down the middle, just a little bit to one side, and you'll knock all the pins over. We know the answer, but we can't actually deliver it with our life. It's like archery. It's like anything, right? And so I think that Jesus kinda had a little bit of a sass to him when, a a heavenly holy sass, a righteous sass, when he said, well, yep, you nailed it, good job. And I think that the guy asking the question was a lot like us, and it says, but the man wanted to justify himself. You ever been there? You ever wanted to justify your actions? Have you ever maybe used this to defend your position on something? I think we do that all the time. In fact, I kinda defend all my actions. I could be sitting on the couch, cocked back. (sighs) Oh, I can't, I can't reach my coffee. hun. Hun, I need you. Can you hand me the coffee? Not like it's convenient. I do live in a fifth wheel, I can get up and like go like two steps to get there, like it's not that hard for me to do it, but somehow, oh, oh, maybe that's you, maybe it's, oh, honey, I need the remote,
0: I can't, I can't.
2: And I justify my actions, I justify my behavior, and that's where I wanna jump into, because Jesus has a response that I think at the time just was kinda like a left hook to this guy, and we're gonna dive in there. So, Jesus responds with this story. The story is, is called a parable. He uses this kind of teaching analogy on how to create truth and show truth in a very clear way without making them feel too horrible about themselves, without punching them in the face. Because Jesus had a very, very firm center and he had soft edges. Does anybody think Mike did a great job last week? Yeah. Jesus has a very firm center with soft edges. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's not a good story. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But... A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. I'm gonna stop right there. Last week, Mike touched on a little bit of this animosity between Samaritans and Jews. I wanna kinda grow and embellish this, and so I have a map that I would like to bring up here first, and we're gonna look at this map just so we know where we're at. There's Jericho and Jerusalem, I highlighted that, and then there's Samaria, and Samaria is that blue section or teal section right above Judea, okay? And so, to understand the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews, we have to look a lot further back in history. You see, there were 12 tribes that that were a part of this exodus, the Israelites that came out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they all separated and and took different geographical locations in which to um, raise their families and grow and kind of take On their new life. And the Samaritans were a part of that family. They were the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so they're within the Israelite group. And most of us don't quite know that. We just think they're just, you know, sworn enemies of the Jews. Samaria made up the northern kingdom. And so early on, um, at about 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and they conquered Samaria, the northern kingdom and the Samaritans were conquered. They were a conquered people, and in order to, I guess for them, continue life as they know it, they intermarried and things got a little muddied over the years, and they didn't follow the truths found in the Torah as well as some of the others. Now, a little bit later on, the same thing happened from the Babylonian empire and the Babylonian empire came in and they conquered the southern kingdom and led that kingdom into exile, okay, into Babylon. Those, uh, the southern kingdom, the, the, the Jews of Judea, the, that people group um, within the story of faith, they're like, no, we will not intermarry, we are going to do the high road, we are gonna keep as true to the faith as possible. And there was animosity because of the two different responses to a very similar issue. So when we jumped down um, after that, that exile, um, there was a lot of tension that gathered. And then when the, when the Babylonian exile was over and they, the, the, the southern kingdom came back down, they're like, we've got to rebuild the temple. And everyone's like, yeah, let's rebuild the temple. And so the Samaritans, those from Samaria, came down and were like, we would love to help rebuild the temple. And they were like, nope. We don't want your help. You guys are messed up, you know? And so they didn't allow for them to rebuild the temple. They said, We worship the same God. But they're like, Yeah, you have a lot of differences and a lot of truly messed up stuff, but we don't want your help. And so that created a little bit of tension. And so the Samaritans decided on Mount Gerizim to uh, build their temple to the God Yahweh and to continue to worship. Flash forward several more years, what happens? Somebody from the southern kingdom ticked off that they made another temple, goes up and demolishes that temple, raids it, smashes it to the ground, okay? Flash forward a little bit more years, right in this recent history, AD six, this is what's so important. The Samaritans, ticked off by all this stuff, they sneak in and they go to the temple in Jerusalem, and they defile it. They spread dead corpses all over the building, and so that really ticked off the Jews. They're in the middle of a civil war during the time period of Jesus. That is the kind of animosity that's going on between the north and the south. So when we see Samaritans, this is very, very hated people. Changes the story. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days wages, and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? We know the answer, but our heart is far from it. He said, the one who showed mercy. You see, there was so much hate there, I don't even think he could say the name Samaritan. Because to him, good Samaritan is an oxymoron. And then Jesus raises the bar yet again. He says, you go and you do likewise. You go and you do likewise. So let's bring it to the street level here. Was Jesus' story about helping somebody beat up on the side of the street? Maybe. Or was it a little bit more than that? Was he kind of raising the bar and telling everybody, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Let's bring back that map, is that possible? Jericho to Jerusalem. That's where they're traveling. That's outside the neighborhood of the Samaritan.
0: Hmm.
2: Raises the bar. Who is your neighbor? It's somebody outside of your immediate surroundings. It's wherever you are. Who is your neighbor? It's somebody outside of your personal preferences of belief system. It's somebody outside of your personal preferences of how the world should work. It's somebody that has done something wrong to you. It's somebody that you don't even know why you hate. Denominational differences. You guys understand that we're on the same team as other denominations, I think there's a little bit today where it's like, well, I go to this church and I'm not a this or a, you know, I'm a recovering Baptist or I'm a recovering Pentecostal or, you know, uh, who cares? It's all about Jesus. And as long as we lock it down that Jesus died for all people and we lock it down to the core truth of who the gospel is and we have that firm center, then we can have a soft edge and we can move throughout. And so who's your neighbor? We know the answer. It's everyone. But on the street level, if there was ever a time where we you know, could have some animosity, it could be right now. Who's your neighbor? It could be ISIS. There's a lot of fears stirred up there. It could be somebody from other faiths. It could be the Muslim next door. Let's jump into what the Samaritan had to overcome. What did the Samaritan have to overcome? You see, if he was caught by his peer group doing this act of kindness, what do you think would happen between the peer group and him? Do you think he'd have a little bit of judgment? Do you think he'd have a little bit of, did he have a fear that he might be rejected by his own people because he stepped out in mercy to this other group of people? Man. You see, he set aside his racial differences, his personal preferences. He was very, very intentional. He had to see a problem, get moved by compassion, jump off of his horse, go down, bend down softly, and stop the bleeding. That takes a lot of work. And then he gave up the comfort of his own place because there's somewhere in this nasty road between Jer- Jericho and Jerusalem. If you want to know how nasty that road is, Google it. You'll see it's very similar to like the, the Grand Canyon Trail. You know, it's like, it's nasty. It's canyon, it's rocky, it's terrain. It was a perfect place for robbers to come and beat up this guy on the side of the road and steal his stuff. And so he gives up his own comfort. He gives up his mule that he ordered in advance, you know, his donkey, and he puts that guy on it. And then he follows up, and he follows up, and he follows up, and he brings him to the inn, and he gives him all this money, and he says, hey, I'll be back, and I'll follow up and take care of him. Are we doing this to our enemies? Now, what did the Levite do? Or the the, uh, priest do? You see, I don't think that there was a bunch of malice in their heart. I mean, there could have been. But I think they kind of stepped back and were like, yeah, I'm really, really busy. I don't think I can help today. Or maybe there was like, a oh, unclean. Or maybe, since the guy was beaten half dead and they're not allowed to touch a corpse, they didn't even stop to check. They just kinda, selfie, hashtag, ooh, "So, So blessed that wasn't me. That was right in front, God just, Poor, the angels just knew. I mean, I was in the car right behind him on I-17, and I just knew that the angels just were protecting me, and uh, I was safe. Oh, that hurts! It hurts. You see, you see, I think there was a little bit of this apathy that was taking place, and I have that apathy. There's a line in a Mumford and Sons song called, if I had an enemy greater than my apathy, I would've already won. If I had an enemy greater than my apathy, I would've already won. Sometimes our own apathy as believers, as followers of Christ, um, is, is our worst enemy. And Jesus, he's laying down a different command. He's saying, no, you have to go and do likewise. You have to go and do likewise. And so we want to look at this, these four areas in which the Samaritan overcame. You see, he, he chose to embrace an orphan outside of his family. You all realize that anybody outside of your family is an orphan to your family? He chose to embrace the orphans in, in a way he also chose to reconcile the races. He chose to empower the poor. What did he do? He didn't just give them a hand out. Hey, yo, here's some coinage. Here's some food. I'm on a hurry, so catch you later. No, he empowered that person. He gave them a hand up. He didn't just give them a hand out. And that's what we want to do as a body of believers. And number four, he loved the lonely. Our goal in this series, the four series, is all about changing the culture of our church. You guys know that culture is the sum total of the decisions made by a group of people? Culture is the sum total of the decisions made by a group of people. What if this group of people, this family of believers, decided to make a bunch of individual little changes and change our culture, change the way we are perceived by the community, change the way the gospel is spread in our valley and beyond. What if we, the church, ecclesia, were able, as the body of believers, to get over ourselves to get off of our donkey and move forward. Okay, that was a really good bad (laughs) punchline. Get off of our donkey and move into where we need to be. You know, we need to get our apathy aside. We've got to figure out how we can neighbor appropriately neighbor well. The time is now. This is a command from Jesus. This isn't a suggestion. So we have to be intentional. We have to have this firm center, and we have to have these soft edges. We have to not be blindly passing by, not seeing what's across the street in our own neighborhood. We have to look intentionally to love the creepy people. (laughs) The people that creep you out. I'm probably one of them. (laughs) By the time we got here, this guy's creepy. (laughs) This church is all about this. We are all about being gentle. We are all about being soft. We are all about in leaning down and getting off of our donkey, getting off of our high place and loving those who need the love of Jesus, which is everyone. 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 Say everyone. Everyone. Again, everyone. I'm glad we got that. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm typically moved by music. I'm motivated largely by music, and I'm motivated by film. And there's this, it might be a stretch for for us, but there's this piece that is right here. In everything I just talked about, we're gonna watch this piece. It's called a spoken word piece. So if it's not your thing, who cares? If it's not your thing, Let's hear what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us through this, but I think we're gonna drive this point home in a very, very clear, very, very tangible way, and there's a very beautiful story of reconciliation right in the middle of it. But before I I play this, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, because while we were the worst of sinners, you came and you died for us. While we were beaten up and half dead, you sent somebody that was our enemy to love us. We had made him our enemy even though he wasn't. Lord, we love you and we need you. Please stir in our hearts in this little peace and help us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: must first know who your neighbor is. But before you can even begin the neighborly process of neighboring them, you must first comprehend the neighborhood of your own skin. For we were the worst of neighbors, waging cul-de-sac wars with our transgressions, furnishing our habitats with our inhabiting sins. We were residing in hate as if bricks of enmity formed our residences, and we were walling ourselves off as if selfish deeds were our addresses. We were disgruntled neighbors of the Almighty, and we were drowning in the mortgage of our flesh's home knowing that no wage we could ever earn could pay off our wager but now we actually can love others because God himself did show us how to neighbor because we first lived without a family. We were cut off from our true father and from our line of royalty. We love the lonely because he who is love became loneliness for us, and because he who is God was forsaken by God when he cried out on the cross. We reconcile the races because we were of the wrong race. We were children of Adam by nature, children of wrath. And because of the color of our sin-stained skin, we deserved all the horror of our racism we empower the poor. Because we were once homeless, without roof, wall, or door. We thought we had all the comforts of Earth, but hell was all we actually had in store. We do all this and more, but not because we're trying to somehow be on our best behavior. We do it in response to, and because of, the true one who taught us how to neighbor
4: It would all be hard to swallow Heroin took my parents in, spit them out as a broken model. Broken bottles and no tomorrows, lonely sorrows and phony models. I'm doing good, I'm just fine, but inside my soul was hollow. My life was a hot mess, home far from spotless. Syringes left behind cabinet doors, liquor bottles in closets. I went to church a few times. They shook my hand, said God bless, but no one embraced. Closed in a space, this orphan needed their arms stretched. By the time I was 16, left my house for the time. Thir- time by 17 I didn't have a home Nomadic, roaming to survive inside I hated God waited long for love the land loneliness was my only friend and no Seem to understand, and all of that—it's a true story. So how did I get here today? My heart beats to God's rhythm. Jesus Christ took tears away, but how He do it? Here's the way: one man didn't fear my space. He took me into his home and then showed love with the clearest grace. Taught me out of love God, love my wife, and love my neighbor. No, I've been married ten years, three kids. There's nothing greater than loving the lost when it's uncrushed at a cost. If he never reached out his hands, then I wouldn't run for the cause. Although his complexion was dark. Ethnicity different. Our race is reconciled. We need stepped in with assistance. And right now, the lonely ones need your open arms. So let the church arise a week before the coming dawn. We
3: neighborhood of grace. So may the orphans be embraced. May the lonely be loved. May the races be restored. And may we empower the poor. Because all this and more was first done by our Savior, the God-man known as Jesus, who taught us how to neighbor.
1: Hey, would you just say thank you to Luke? And I am just grateful for him sharing with us and challenging us today. And um, so, yeah. So uh, to wrap up today, there's just one um, thing that that we want to do. Like I said last week and the week before, we're trying to put some things in front of us together as a church to to. Um, challenge us to some specific action. And one of the ways that we've been trying to take some strides forward um, and trying to stay on the side of the street where there are people who need to be seen and there are people who need to be cared for, as opposed to crossing over to the other side of the street that Luke talked about this morning. One of the ways that we really believe that, that we can stay on the side of the street is by intentionally trying to figure out how we can do some work to care for vulnerable kids and vulnerable families, and specifically trying to move and take some steps forward in being involved in local foster care. And um, so this morning, I just had, uh, I have Natalie here with me. I've known Natalie for a long, long time, and she has been, along with her family, just incredibly um, encouraging to me over the years. Her family was one of the ones that kind of Um, really first inspired my family to start thinking about being a part of foster care. And, And she's done the same thing for a handful of other families in our church as well. And so I just asked her to to come up here just to talk for a couple minutes. I want to ask her a couple questions and just let her um, kind of share her heart with us as a whole church and and maybe encourage us and challenge us with a couple things. So um, we're going to go through these as quickly as we can. But um, uh, can you just tell us really quickly, maybe a couple of the reasons why you guys first uh, chose to become a foster family?
5: Um, Yeah, my husband and I both actually, before we were married, um, talked about it. We both had been exposed to it when we were younger. We had family members who had done foster care. So it's just something that we knew that we wanted to do. Um, So after we got married, had a couple of our children, and we really started praying about it. And we just felt that um, right now was a perfect time um, just to open our homes to kids who, um, I don't know, just needed a safe environment and a loving environment. And we've actually, I mean, we've enjoyed even being able to expose our children to it. They are even talking about wanting to do it when they get older as well. Um, And then the other thing that I really love is just being able to come alongside biological parents and um, give them a little bit of hope and courage in their time of need as well. A lot of them have um, just had nothing. They have no support, anything like that. So it's really nice being able to come along, the families as well, not just the children.
1: Yeah, for sure. One of the things we're trying to do as a church is trying to, I I, I want us to, figure out how we can support foster care in our community in in ways that doesn't necessarily always mean like that everybody in here becomes a foster parent but but how um, so kind of I guess what I want to ask you is what are some of the ways that you have felt supported or what are some ways that you could see like for a church to potentially come around foster families and support and encourage what you're doing and be a part of that Um, are, are there things that you would say to that?
5: Um, yeah, like for us personally, just accepting our circus has been awesome. Just our friends and our family just accepting us, um, loving on our foster children. Um, um, we've I've heard of lots of families, um, when they get a new placement, there's um, a group of people who will come and bring them meals, who will bring them diapers, um, wipes, you know, things like that, bottles. Um, there's also ways that they can um, get kind of semi-licensed and do respite for them so they can go and have a vacation or a little trip with their family. Um, they could get, do some babysitting so a foster family could have a date night or just a night out with their family as well. Um, I think that, that's pretty. And then just praying for them. It would be awesome to know that um, there is a specific person here praying for us and our family and our fosters, even though we can't give out, you know, the exact...
1: Well, and situations. those are some, of the, like, really practical examples of things that I think that we could choose to step into and that there's a lot of people in this church that would be willing. There's already a lot of people that are doing that, but I yeah. think that there's a lot of ways that we could continue to support families like yours in the whole process. Um, one more thing. What are some ways that you think that um, people from our church might be able to support, like, bio-parents and bio-families that are, are trying to reunify and trying to establish some stability and consistency? Are there ways, um, from your perspective, that we could consider being involved in that?
5: I mean, just, I don't know, for men- mentoring, mentoring a family, I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how they could get to that point where they find out about them, but for me, for example, I've had two um, bio-parents come to church with me here, and looking now in hindsight, It would have been really awesome to be able to kind of pair them up with somebody here that could mentor them. Um, Also, just to go back just for a second, also mentoring like older foster children that we have in the church as well, um, maybe taking them out for ice cream a couple times a month, just getting to know them, getting to hear their story. But um, just like Pastor last week had said, just some of these bio parents just need some support. They need somebody to know that they love them and just to hear their story.
1: Is there anything that you would suggest that we could do to just collectively pay better attention, and be a little bit more aware of what's going on, like, in our valley when it comes to kids and families that are in that, like, vulnerable place?
5: Um, Honestly, I just think that um, learning more about it, asking questions, being aware. If I hadn't seen it as a child and seen my family doing foster care, I don't know if I would be doing it today if I didn't reach out and start asking those questions and start praying about it. Um, So I think just kind of being aware, asking questions, kind of, diving in a little bit
1: yeah one of the things you and I were talking about the other day is that right now there's about a hundred kids from just the Verde Valley that have that are living somewhere other than their home that have been removed from their home by the Department of Child Safety and are in out-of-home care and that's a huge need and it's something that I think that our church and people from our church can really Um, continue to take strides in figuring out how we can support some of those families and stand in their corner with them and really be for them.
5: Yep, absolutely.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the ways that, that you are setting an example of staying on the side of the road that's difficult and staying on the side of the road that is challenging um, because you're trying to do what, what God has called you to do. I appreciate that. Um, along those lines, the last thing that I want to tell you about is that we had this uh, insert inside your bulletin today, and you can look at that. There are some ways, if you're interested in being a part of, of any of the efforts that our church is trying to make um, and trying to take some strides forward in caring for vulnerable families and vulnerable kids, especially that are currently in foster care, um, we would love to for you to consider some of those things. You can fill this out again and turn it into the giving box. You can take it home and pray about it. Uh, you can also fill it out on our website as well. There's a digital version. Thank you so much for joining us. Also, just thank you for your patience. I know that the, these last couple weeks have been a little bit out of the box in some ways, and I'm just grateful for you being here and staying engaged and considering how God might be challenging you and how God might be challenging us, and I am continuing to be excited for what he has in store for us as a church. If you you would like to be prayed for this morning there's a prayer team over here to the right of the stage that would love to spend a couple moments with you in prayer thank you so much we are looking forward to see the next couple weeks together also